0: We're in a brand new series this morning, and over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at a few of the seven miracles that Jesus did in the book of John. And as you've noticed, we have entitled this series, Wonder, and I want to tell you why. Some of you right now are in need of a miracle in your life, and you're wondering, does Jesus still do the miraculous? We, we know what he did in the New Testament, but does he still do that kind of stuff today? Some of you may have a, a marriage issue. I mean, your marriage is right on the brink. We just prayed for some marriages here just a moment ago. And you're wondering, can God heal a broken relationship that just seems beyond repair? Some of you have an issue with a child. I mean, you have a son or daughter that's gone off the rails. And you're, you're just wondering, can God bring my child back to the Lord? Can he rescue a wayward son or daughter? I mean, you, you may need a miracle in a job situation. Maybe it's a financial issue, and you're wondering, can, can God, does He even care? Can He fix that stuff? Is He, is he into the details of, of what I do for a living? Some of you need a, a miracle to overcome an issue with sin. Um, maybe there's an addiction problem that you have right now, and, and you're wondering, does He still have the power to deliver people from, from addictions and from sinful habits and, and just from sin in general? Uh, maybe, maybe you need a miracle with a health issue, and you're wondering, this morning, is Jesus still the great physician? Does he still have the power to heal like he did in the New Testament? Maybe you've just lost your sense of awe and wonder about God, about Jesus, about who he is, about what he's done in your life. And you need this series. You need God to speak in your life to recapture that sense of awe and wonder that maybe you had at your moment of of salvation or even that moment in your life where you were truly walking closely with God. Well, I want you to know that Jesus is still in the business of doing miracles. And I want you to know that nothing is too big for him, nothing is too complex, nothing is beyond his reach. I love um, how the Apostle Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20, he says this, God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. For those, so for those of you that may be wondering um, here this morning, I want you to know that Jesus is still the God of wonders. And he is able to do the miraculous in your life today. So with the book of John open, and I want to encourage you over the next several weeks to actually bring your Bibles with you, bring a pencil, pen, highlighter. I want to encourage you to actually write in your Bible. I know for some of you, like, we can actually write in this thing. You can, all right? It's it's God's holy word, but it's just paper, and you can write on it, and you need to take great notes. And and so I want to encourage you to do that. So in John chapter 2, we're going to jump right into this story. It says, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. So here we have Jesus, we have his disciples, they're at a wedding uh, in Cana of Galilee, and Jesus' mother Mary is also there. Now the Bible doesn't say whose wedding it is, but some scholars believe that it could have been The wedding of a relative of Mary and Jesus. We we really don't know for sure. However, Mary was at this wedding for a very specific reason, and for that reason, she felt very obligated to do something when the host of the wedding ran out of wine. Now, weddings in Jewish culture were a huge, huge ordeal back in in, in this time, and, and the feasts would last for several days, and a, and a crucial part of the celebration was making sure that there was enough wine at the wedding. Now, the people at the wedding, didn't, didn't, they didn't drink the bar dry. I want you to know that. That's not why they, they, they ran out. No one was getting drunk at this wedding. Matter of fact, drunkenness was considered a social disgrace in Jewish culture, but their social custom required that there be plenty of wine for everybody, he said, why is that? Well, because hospitality was sacred in their culture. So running out of wine would have been just a humiliation for, for the host. And so Mary felt that she needed to take matters into her own hands to fix the problem. And, and she knew just the right person to ask. Because Jesus was in the house. Now let me read verse 3 again and go right into 4. When the wine ran out and the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Well, Jesus said to her, woman... What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of answer to my mother at any time in my life would have probably gotten me in trouble. And I'm sure that if you were to address your mother as woman, it probably would not go over very well for, for you at all. Matter of fact, kids, I'm just going to listen to me for just a moment. If your mom asks you tomorrow to take out the trash and your response is woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come, and it's probably not going to work for you. Matter of fact, you may actually discover that your time has come much sooner than you anticipated. (laughs) But here's what we need to understand about this situation in the Bible. Jesus spoke to his mother. He didn't speak to his mother in English. He spoke in Aramaic. And, And instead of this being disrespectful, Jesus was actually using a term of honor that can be translated dear woman or gracious lady. And the phrase what does that have to do with me is actually a Hebrew idi- idiom that, that doesn't mean woman, mind your own business. Rather, it means leave things to me and I will settle them my own way. Now, the term my, my time has not come yet is a very interesting one. And some of you are going, well, what in the world did Jesus mean by that? Well, Jesus is about 30 years old when this wedding takes place. He has just started um, his public ministry, and he is now redefining his relationship with Mary, who, as you know, is is his earthly mother. And Jesus is reminding Mary that his will and his journey is controlled by obedience to his heavenly Father and not by human relationships. His, His hour to die was coming, but it was an hour that would only be determined by his Father. His destiny and his actions were were not controlled by human relationships, but instead they were controlled by doing the will of his Father. And his Father's will would eventually lead him to a cross. And that time would eventually come, but Jesus is saying that moment was not right now. Now we don't know how much of all of that that Mary understood, but here's what she knew. She knew that her son was the Son of God. She knew he was the creator of the universe. And she had complete faith that Jesus could actually handle this somewhat small issue. Now the Bible doesn't actually say this, but the chances are she probably witnessed Jesus doing some pretty amazing things as he was growing up in her house. So when Jesus said, I'll take care of this, trust me on this one, dear lady, she didn't hesitate to submit to his plan. Look at at what she says in verse 5. His mother said... To the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now immediately these guys get to work. Look at verse 6. It says, now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called to the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the, uh, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. Now, back in this time, six stone water jars would have equaled about anywhere between 120 to 180 gallons of wine. That would be over 2,800 eight-ounce glasses of wine. That's a lot of wine. And Jesus tells his servants, he says, I want you to fill these jars up to the very brim, because he's not going to leave any questions about the authenticity of the miracle that he has just performed. And so he tells the servants, I want you to draw out some water. I want you to take it to the master of the banquet, who would have been kind of like a head waiter. And as soon as the head waiter takes a drink, the water becomes wine. The head waiter has no idea how the wine actually got there, but he calls the groom over to him. And he actually accuses the groom of breaking a first century Jewish custom by saving the best wine for last. Because Jewish custom was serve the best wine first. Well, apparently Jesus had turned the water into some very, very, very good wine. Because this head waiter had never tasted wine so good in his whole life. Look at verse 11. It says this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Canaan in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now John states that this was the beginning of Jesus doing miracles in his ministry. And as a result of, of this miracle, besides creating a lot of really good wine, two amazing things actually took place here. And really, this is the whole reason why Jesus did this miracle in the first place. The Bible says that the glory of Jesus was now revealed. He just put his power on display. And as a result, the disciples believed. So outside of his birth, for the first time in his life, Jesus puts his power as God's son on display, and this miracle was no random thing. This was actually a transformation miracle. Through his amazing power, he turned one thing into another. He turned water into wine. This miracle was a sign of what Jesus had actually come to earth to do, which was to turn old things into new things, to transform spiritually dead people into people who would become spiritually alive. I like how 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's the transforming power of what a relationship with Jesus can do. Because Jesus defeated sin on a cross and conquered death by rising again from the grave, now old things can become new things. Spiritual death can now become spiritual life. And I love the fact that the Bible says, as a result of this miracle, the disciples believed in him. Now, they didn't completely understand everything about him. Matter of fact, they were always a little bit confused about his death and resurrection as, as when he would talk about it, until it happened. But, but here's what they did understand, even before this miracle. They knew that he was the Son of God. But this was the first time they had ever seen him do a miracle in public. So it deepened their faith in him. Jesus just put his wonder on display for these men to see, and it left them in complete awe. Now, I, I want to draw some life lessons out of the story for us this morning because I think there's some really, really good ones here. But before I do that, let me address the elephant in the room, okay, which is the wine. Drinking, as you know, has always been a big issue in culture, and, and, and it's become a lot, kind of a, actually a hot topic issue in the Christian world today. And, and I don't have statistics, there's no way I could get statistics on this, but I do know that a lot of you in this room, okay, you drink. So I want to take a moment, and I want to address a few things that that I think we need to keep in mind about this particular uh, miracle. First of all, Jesus miraculously turned water into wine. Now, I know some of you may be going, duh, you just read that. Well, there are a lot of people outside the Christian faith that try to explain these miracles away as kind of tricks or illusions, But when the Bible says that water became wine, I believe, and we believe, that Jesus actually took something that once was water and miraculously turned it into wine. The second thing we need to grab from this is that this text is not a justification to drink alcoholic beverages. Um, The primary focus of this whole miracle has nothing to do with either the legitimacy or the uh, illegitimacy of drinking. The the focus of this whole text is is about Jesus revealing his power and glory to the disciples to deepen their faith, to to create a a sense of awe and wonder of what he was capable of doing. Now, number three is kind of where I'm going to step into it, because I I do realize I'm in the southeast here. So, number three, the text does not suggest that Jesus made non-fermented wine. Was the wine that Jesus created fermented? That's a big question. Meaning, did it contain alcohol? And I believe it did. The Greek word that's used here for wine is oinos. It's, not the, it's, the, it's actually the same Greek word in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, where we are commanded not to get drunk with oinos, with wine. Now, I know that there are many, many pastors that preach that there's, there's no way that Jesus would have ever, ever created something that it could have possibly caused these people to sin. In other words, if Jesus actually created fermented wine, then he would have been promoting drunkenness. Well, that would be kind of like saying that that Jesus would have been promoting gluttony by multiplying the five loaves and two fishes. Okay, so I do not believe that the Bible says that drinking wine is sinful. However, it clearly says that abusing wine and alcohol and getting drunk is sinful. And there are a few other things that we need to consider, we need to remember here. History has recorded so much about the events of that took place in the New Testament. And One of the things that it recorded is that the wine that was served during the time of Jesus was about a third of the strength of the wine that is served today. And the Bible is full of warnings concerning wine, concerning strong drink, because God knows how many lives have been ruined and how many homes have been destroyed because of alcohol. Um, Many of you know, because I've talked about this before, before my dad became a believer, Christ follower in 1976, before that time he was a very heavy drinker. And um, My mother-in-law actually said this a few years up here on stage. My my wife's uh, grandfather was an alcoholic. And so here's a few things that I want just to say to you about drinking, all right? First of all, oftentimes, what you do in moderation, your kids will do in excess. And I've seen that not just with drinking, but with other things. And we need to keep that in mind. The second thing is if you have an addiction problem with alcohol, your real issue is a heart issue, you, you need to stay away from alcohol at all costs. But I want you to know this. Alcohol is not your root issue. It's your heart. And that's, that's the, same way, the same thing that goes with any kind of addiction issue, whether it's pornography or gambling or whatever, whatever it might be. All right? And the other thing is if you have an a, addictive personality, don't even start drinking. Because addictions, addictions run in my family. So to be honest with you, drinking scares me a bit. And let me say one more thing that I think is extremely important to Probably the majority of you, all right? I know that there is a lot of talk today in the religious world about spiritual rights, okay? That we have the rights to express our freedoms, and I agree with that. But I want to say something to those of you that express your freedom to drink, all right? While there may be a freedom to have a glass of wine, there are a few things that will always limit that freedom, and here they are, all right? Wisdom, maturity, and love, Wisdom, maturity, and love. Romans chapter 14 actually addresses this issue. It talks about days, diet, and drink. That's Romans 14. And it says that as mature believers, that we have a responsibility not to cause less, a less mature believer, which we, we know as the weaker brother, not to cause the weaker brother to stumble or to fall into sin. Let me use this as an example. If I were sitting in a restaurant with Amy and we were having a glass of wine, right? many of you would think, perfectly fine. But let's say sitting a few tables over was a guy who was just, he he was struggling with with alcoholism and he was desperately trying to get victory. He was in a recovery program and he looked over at me as his pastor and he saw me drinking and that caused him to stumble back into drinking. Now the, the Bible says if that were to happen, I would be destroying the work of God in his life. I would not be actually acting in love towards him and personally it would break my heart. Romans 15.1 actually says that we, are, we who are strong need to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. And so with maturity comes responsibility and wisdom. That's why you, you, you need to be wise and mature and loving, not only what you do out in public, but also what you do in private, especially around your kids. And so here's a good word, I think, as it relates to this particular issue. Freedom with wisdom. Freedom with wisdom. Now, when I was younger, again, coming from an environment where there was a lot of drinking, I saw the the downsides. I saw the dangers of alcohol. I I saw the impact that it had on families around me, on marriages around me, tearing homes apart. And so I've seen all that. And if you're somebody here today struggling with alcohol, I want you to know this. God's grace is available to you. God's grace is available to, to help you find victory. I've watched God do modern-day miracles in, in my dad's life right after he received Christ to be a Savior and as he learned to depend on him. And I want you to know, God can do the same in your life if this is an issue you struggle with. So, with that said, and quite honestly, I've said a whole lot more about that than I really wanted to, let's talk a couple minutes about just some real-life lessons that we can take away from the story of Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding party in Cana of Galilee. And as we look at this miracle, and every other miracle over the next several weeks, I think here's where I want to land every single time. Here's a statement that we need to land at every single time. Jesus, show me what this is saying about you. Regardless of the miracle we look at, Jesus, show me what this is saying about you. The very first thing is this. Because Jesus cares about the smallest details, we can trust his provision in our lives. Wine at a wedding. We look at that we go, that seems kind of trivial to us today. But it was very important to Jesus' mother Mary and to the couple who were getting married. And the whole miracle is a testament of God's grace. Jesus didn't have to perform this miracle, but he did. By turning the water into wine, Jesus saved this couple and the families that were involved from, from a lot of cultural embarrassment. When I look at this miracle, I'm reminded that Jesus has the smallest details of my life in his mind. He personally cares about the things that are on our hearts. His grace is abundant, and he promises to take care of our needs. But here's our challenge. We have to learn to trust him. We have to learn to rest in his promises and in his grace and in his power. Even even when you cannot see him at work, or even if he chooses to do something that is different than what you are praying. And I know for some of you, that's a tall order because you, you have some overwhelming needs in your life right now. I love this quote. Today, you'll try to find rest by trying to understand your life or you'll rest in the one who understands everything, including your life. Now, one of the things that stands out to me in this story is when Jesus turns this water into wine is that the head waiter says, this is the best wine. Well, of course it was. I mean, do you think the creator of the universe is going to create some Ripple or some Boone's Farm, which was (laughs) my dad's wine of choice, by the way? No, he's going to create the best. Listen, when we we trust Jesus to provide, even if we have to wait, he, he always provides the best. He always provides the best. What he provides may look completely different than what you've prayed for, but it will always be the best for you and ultimately for what will bring him glory. So we need to trust the God of wonder even with the smallest details of our lives. The second one is this. Jesus knew how to enjoy life, to rest and to have fun, and we need to do the same. Now, I know some of you, you look at that point and you go, that's kind of trite. But listen, I, I think it's an important detail of the story. Jesus and his disciples went to a wedding. In other words, they actually participated in a fun celebration. And Jesus created wine at the party when the supply ran out. You say, why is that so important? Well, because oftentimes we look at Jesus as a huge joy killer. And I can't tell you how many people I've met over my life that become... They become very serious and actually self-righteous once they become a Christian. They go from being life of the party to party pooper, all in the name of Christianity. Now, there's no place in the story that suggests Jesus was drinking at the wedding party. But he wanted the guests at the party to enjoy themselves and to have fun celebrating the wedding party. You think about what happens at a wedding party, well, at a celebration. Well, people dance, they, they have fun, they laugh, they celebrate. Do you think Jesus was at this party with his disciples sitting off in a corner, sipping a latte, having a deep theological discussions about whatever? No. That actually doesn't say what he was doing, but I seriously doubt that. Of all of the people in the world that should have a reason to have joy, to laugh, to actually know how to rest, to relax, to enjoy life, it should be those of us who have found abundant life here on earth and eternal life for our, for our future in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Number three, Jesus is still in the miracle business, but oftentimes it is dependent on our obedience to him. If you look at so many of the miracles that took place in the Bible, you will see that there's an act of obedience that takes place before the miracle happens. And in this story, Mary looked at, her ser- at the servants and, and, and she just said, do whatever he says. And immediately, Jesus gives instructions, fill up the jars with water. And then he says, now take some of the water to the head waiter. And as soon as the head waiter takes a sip, boom, what happens? The water turns to wine. A miracle takes place. I want you to write this down. Miracles are God's business. Obedience is mine. Miracles are God's business. Obedience is mine. The old theologian J.C. Riley said it this way, duties are ours. Events are God's. It's Christ's to make the water into wine. Be faithful to do what we are told to do. Fill the water pots and leave the miracle slash event to God. Some of you in this room this, after, this morning, you are in desperate need of a miracle in your life. But for whatever reason, whether it's, whether it's out of fear or pride or disbelief or, or just a lack of obedience, we refuse to do what God is asking us to do. And I don't know what God's asking you to do, but I have a feeling You do. You know, standing up this, here this morning and actually looking out at you, I I realize this church is a miracle. I think over the last eighteen years of thousands of people who have been saved, or the twenty plus missionary couples that are all over the world now have been, who've been sent out of this church, or or individuals serving um, in, in uh, just coming back from mission trips here today, or the two hundred and fifty plus churches that we've had a chance to help start over the years, and. Some of you know that we started a nonprofit in a little tiny country in Africa called um, Engage Burkina. We've now, this year, we will have a chance to help provide over 500 clean water wells to people who don't have clean water. And then I think about the the impact that you're having on the community around us and how some of you, you have figured out really how to impact your workplace and, and the place where you live and the place where your kids play with the gospel. And here's the deal, I realize I can't take any credit for any of that. It would be absolutely foolish for me or, or Amy to take any credit for that. But I do know this, if I would have, if I would have said no to any of this, if, if we would have just been overcome by our fears, if we would have looked at, at where we were in Virginia and said, there's no way I'm leaving this comfortable situation, God, that you put us in, we'd have missed out on all of this. We'd, we'd, have, we'd, have, we'd have missed it. Had I said no, here's what I do believe. I believe God would have sent someone else to do it. But he asked us. And out of obedience, we said yes, and we have had the privilege of our lives to have a front row seat to this miracle. We've had a chance to see God put his glory on display, his power uh, on display, and, and, and I'm in awe, continue to be in awe of the wondrous things that God has done here. Now, there are some of you here today, you're just one step of obedience away from God doing the miraculous in your life. And I have no idea what that looks like. But again, I think you do. God may want to show you his glory. God may want to show you his power. But as we see in many other places in the Bible, it may be dependent upon your act of obedience. But I want you to know his grace is enough to help you to take that step this morning, that step of obedience, whatever God's calling you to do. And the fourth thing, Jesus performed miracles so that people would believe that he is the Son of God and he has the power to change their life. Again, what happened after Jesus did this miracle? His glory was revealed. Jesus proved he was God's Son. And, this, and his disciples' faith went to a whole new level. Their lives were changed. They left the party in awe and wonder about Jesus and, and not only what they knew about him before, but now what they could see him do with their own eyes. See, horizontal awe and wonder is meant to do one thing. It's meant to stimulate vertical awe and wonder. Now, John reveals to us, and if you were to get into chapter 20, he tells us the whole reason why God had him record these miracles, why God had him record the whole story in, in this gospel, to write this book of the Bible. It says, in verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. In other words, Jesus Christ is, has the power to change lives. The greatest miracle of all, the greatest miracle of all is the miracle that happens in your life. It's a life that has been transformed. He still, he still meets needs through his resurrection power. Those who experience forgiveness and salvation, receive, they, they, by, those receive salvation by faith, they get to see his glory revealed in, in their lives. The old actually becomes new. The spiritual death actually becomes spiritual life. And for those of us who have already received Christ as our Savior, we get to grow as disciples by trusting him, by walking in obedience. We get to witness firsthand the power of transformation as our lives are being molded day after day after day into the image of Jesus. So some of you may be wondering this morning, does Jesus have the power to change my life? Can Jesus still do the miraculous in my life? And the answer is this, he can. He is able. His power is limitless. His grace is more than enough. I love this where the Bible says his mercies are new every day. Nothing is too big for him. And just a reminder of what he said in Ephesians chapter three, verse 20, once again, God is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. For those of you who are still wondering, I want you to know, Jesus is still the God of wonders. If you're still wondering, Jesus is still the God of wonders. I want us to bow our heads for a moment. For some of you here today, um, the miracle that needs to take place in your life is the miracle of transformation, of old becoming new, spiritual death becoming spiritual life. You walked in here in desperate need of salvation, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and saying, that's why I brought you here today. So you could hear that Jesus Christ died for your sins, paid for your sins rose from the dead so that you could have victory in your life, not just here today but victory in eternity that's why I brought you here today and if you're here today and you need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to pray with me right now just say, listen, your heart Lord, I ask you at this very moment to be my personal Lord and Savior Lord, I need forgiveness of my sin so Lord, I repent of my sin I ask you, Father, to forgive me And I want you to know that you are the son of God and what you did on the cross was enough to save me of my sins. And so by faith, I put every bit of my trust and every bit of my faith in you alone, Jesus, to save me. Head's still bowed. If you just prayed that, I want you to take out your Get Connected card. There's a place for you to let us know that you made that decision. Take it to the host center on the atrium. We wanna help you to take your next step in your journey with Jesus Christ. There are several of you in here and you need a miracle we mentioned them in the beginning maybe i didn't mention the specific need or issue that you're going through but you know what it is is god still in the miracle business jesus yes he is and he can meet your need today whether it's a step of obedience that you have to take or or just a prayer that you need to pray by putting trust in him leaning into him maybe it's just waiting waiting on him just looking and going God this is not how I'm praying but Lord what I do realize is you're giving me the best and you know what's best for my life for some of you it's a miracle it's something you need to get through it's something that you need healing of whatever that looks like my prayer is that you will just you will rest in the fact that the God of wonders still does miracles maybe you've lost maybe you're here today you've lost your sense of awe and your sense of wonder of the God of wonder You think back to your salvation experience or a moment in your life where you were closest to the Lord and you realize today, I've lost that. I've lost that sense of awe. And this morning, the Holy Spirit is prompting you to come back, to return. Say, how do I do that? Before the Lord this morning, just tell him, Lord, I repent, I am sorry, Lord, of anything that has got in my life, anything that, Lord, I've put in front of you, anything, Lord, where I... I am worshiping something that's created more than my worship of the creator. Would you allow me, Lord, to be more in awe of the creator than the things that have been created? And I return to you now. Lord. To put things in their rightful place. I want to be able to walk out of here with a sense of awe and wonder of who, not only who you are and what you've done, but what you're doing in my life today, what you're going to do in my world in the future.